Greetings, this is Pastor Stan Harvey of the Pentecostals of Sydney. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. It is our hope that this message, whether it be a Sunday service or a midweek lesson, would be a blessing and a help to you in your spiritual journey. Stay connected with us on our website, posydney.com, or on our numerous social media platforms. Now to the service. got it, would you say, I'm there? Uh, why don't we do this? If you're looking at a Bible, uh, I want you to look around, and maybe someone around you does not have a Bible, and you can kind of scoot over by them and share your Bible with them, and we'll put this on the screen as well, but I think it's good for us to look at the Word of the Lord together. In fact, don't even ask them. Just scoot over by them. Acts chapter 1, the former treatise, verse 1, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, I'm not going to stretch the scripture, but I am going to substitute a few words. So don't throw anything at me yet. In verse number four, it could read like this. Being assembled together with them, commanded them, that they should not depart from Sydney, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Now I need to let you in on something that you may not know. When I was a young preacher, I used to pour over at minutes on end trying to come up with really good titles for sermons. I had the idea that the more creative the title was, the more anointed the sermon was. So I remember preaching a sermon a long time ago, and the title was, Short People Have Every Reason to Live. I told someone, I think I said it the other day, I believe God made only so many people perfect and the rest he made tall. That's just the way I feel now. But as I've got older, I've found that my titles get more and more vanilla. So today, in this service... You ready for this? Buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be a wowser right now. I'm preaching on waiting on the Lord. Some of y'all are saying, man, he is getting old. Oh, my goodness. Set your Bible down and lift up your voice one more time with me, and let's call on the name of Jesus right now. Come on, we've been singing about that name. Let's call on that name right now. Jesus, I thank you for your anointing that's in this great sanctuary. Thank you for everything that you've done for us and everything you're going to do for us, Lord. We give you our minds, our hearts, our spirits. Let the glory of the Lord fill this house. Let miracles take place in our thinking. And let faith be mixed with the word of the Lord today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody, would you say amen? Shake hands with two people and say, waiting on the Lord. Amen. 
You may be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing. Thank you for following along in your Bible this morning. The year was 1996, and I took a wonderful ministry trip to Eastern Europe. It was the first time that I had been in that part of the world, but I visited the countries of Poland and Belarus, and then I took an overnight train to Moscow, Russia. When I got into Russia, I saw the Red Square and the Kremlin and Joseph Stalin's grave. The USSR had only dissolved five years earlier, and so there were obvious vestiges of communism that were still remaining in that country. I took in the sights and the sounds and we had services in churches that were just beginning after 70 years of communistic rule. And I love so much about the country of Russia, except the food. The food was a different story. It was horrible. And I'm a foodie. I like to check different places out and find out who has the best this or the best that. And I will go on record and testify unashamedly, live streamed around the world right now, that Australia has the greatest flat whites in the history of the world. I sat down and had one this morning and felt Jesus when I took that first sip. In Russia, however, it was a different story. Waiters would stand next to your table, not simply to serve you, but to see what you thought of their food. That was a little disconcerting. I remember one waiter in particular standing looking down at me while I was eating a bowl of soup, and it had, it had things floating in it that I didn't think you should ever see, especially in food. And he mumbled something in Russian to me, which I learned probably was, what do you think of the food? And I was very conflicted, because we're only five years separated from the fall of the Iron Curtain. And I thought, if I answer this incorrectly, I may find myself in a Russian prison somewhere. <laughs> After several days of eating unusual bland food, I was very, very hungry for something normal. And so myself and the people that were in my party, after a long day of walking and sightseeing, we came around a corner and from about three blocks away, I saw a sign that I recognized. I want to show you a picture of what I saw when I was in Russia and I came around the corner and I saw a logo and a sign that I recognized very, very much. It was the golden arches of McDonald's. And I thought to myself, there is a God. I, I, I took notice as I got close to this McDonald's that it wasn't like any other McDonald's I had ever been at. There were people absolutely everywhere. You see, this particular McDonald's was a joint initiative between McDonald's of Canada and the Moscow City Council, and it was first proposed in 1976. In 1988, construction work started on this particular McDonald's. A year later, over 50 million U.S. dollars was poured into the project, and a special factory was built for producing McDonald's brand ingredients. And at the time, it set the record as the largest McDonald's restaurant in the world. It could seat 900 customers, 700 on the inside of the restaurant, and 200 on the outside of the restaurant. 35,000 people applied to work at that McDonald's. And finally, they hired 600 people to work at the cash registers. When I was there on that particular day, 
I had to wait in line for over 30 minutes just to place my order. And then I had to stand next to an occupied table with my tray of food for 10 more minutes in order to wait on someone to get up from their booth so I could sit down and begin my meal. When that restaurant opened in January of 1990, the initial projections claimed that only they thought about a thousand people would come for the opening. However, on its launch day, Moscow McDonald's set another record by serving not a thousand people, but 30,000 people. Now, here's the part that was amazing to me. On that day that they opened, it took some people eight hours to stand in line to place their order at McDonald's. Now, I would like to pause for just a moment and have this intelligent group of people at the Pentecostals of Sydney consider the absurdity of what I just said. Eight hours for a Big Mac. Eight hours for French fries. And embedded within this real-life tale from the former Soviet Union is a characteristic of Christian living, and specifically apostolic Christian living, that is perhaps far too often overlooked. And it is the characteristic of waiting. Waiting on the Lord to work. Waiting on prayers to be answered. Waiting on revival to come to the church. Waiting on a spiritual breakthrough. Waiting on a promise to be fulfilled Waiting on pandemics to end. Waiting, waiting, waiting. For every person that we rejoice over the fact that you got your miracle, there are dozens next to you that the testimony of their life is, I'm here on Sunday morning, but I'm still waiting. I'm here at church at 11.15 on a Sunday in Sydney. But if you really examine my life, you will find that the answer has not come yet. The breakthrough has not been seen yet. It is to you that I preach God's word on this Sunday morning. Wouldn't it be far easier and less stressful if God was like a vending machine? You just put money in and you get something out. You just pray a prayer and the answer instantly comes. You just show up on Sunday morning and you lift a holy hand and you petition him one time and you walk out with your miracle and you walk out with your answer and you walk out with what you needed when you walked into the house. Wouldn't that be easier? It'd be a whole lot less stressful. I wouldn't have to pray nearly as hard. It wouldn't mess with my life like it does now. I wish God was instant. Now, if you go to Amazon.com this afternoon after church, you today can order a 12-pack of sticky labels to put on equipment that simply says on the label, do not tip this machine over. Do we have a picture of that? You can go on Amazon today when you go home and for $16.97, you can purchase a 12-pack of do-not-tip-this-machine-over labels that manufacturers of vending machines have to put on the vending machine. Do you know why people that make vending machines have to put a label on the vending machine? 
that says do not tip this vending machine over. Do you want to know why? Because we do not like to wait. We put the money in. We push the button. And if the coffee doesn't come immediately, or if the crunchy bar does not come immediately. <laughs> now, I'm not going to ask you if you are guilty of that. Why are these even for sale if I have to wait for them? I preach on this Sunday morning to men and women who are full of questions that need answers. I preach to lovely people in this house today that have requests and prayer petitions and honest inquiries and bodies that have pain and families that need mending and minds that are struggling and resolve that has weakened. You may say, Brother Gaddy, I have a whole list of things that I do not understand. Hear me today. I am not pretending this morning that we've come into this holy house barely hanging on, but I would venture a guess that all of us, everybody in this house, has something for which we would like a resolution. We have something that hasn't come through yet. We have something that hasn't materialized yet. We've got a prayer request that hasn't been answered yet, and I want to just rise in this place pulpit and declare boldly, if you are waiting on the Lord, you are in good, good company. Because David waited 15 years to be king. Moses waited 40 years to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Sarah waited 25 years for her appointed child, Isaac, to be born. Rebekah waited 20 years to give birth to Jacob and Esau. We can rise and rejoice over those that have testimonies of victory. But the truth of the matter is, most of us in this house today are still waiting. We're still trusting. We're still hoping. We're still believing. We're still coming before the throne of God saying, I haven't got the answer yet, but I believe it's coming. I believe it's on the way. I'm waiting, Lord. I wonder if there's any mama, you're still waiting on your son to come back home. Or any young adult, you're still waiting on provision from the Lord. You're in good company today. I'm going to confess something to you. You ready? I'm going to confess most of what God does takes more time than I would have planned. Everybody look at somebody near you and say, there's one throne in heaven. And tell them, say, your name's not on that throne. Oh, I want you to give witness to somebody else on that. Say, there's just one throne in heaven. And your name's not on that throne. How I many of you are old enough to remember the old song? He's an on time God. Yes, he is. Dun, 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 dun. He's an on time God. How I many know that song? Yes, he is. He may not come when you want him, but he will be there right on time. He's an on time God. Oh, yes, he is. Come on, clap your hands and sing it with me now. Oh, he's an on-time God. Oh, yes, he is. Dun, 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 dun. He's an on-time God. Oh, yes, he is. Sing it out now. Oh, he may not come when you want him, but he will be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Now, how many of you have lived long enough to know that it's easier to sing that song after he's given you the answer? I heard one elder say it like this, God is not late, but my goodness is he slow. 
So I got a question for somebody. What do you do when you've asked and seemingly you have not received yet? What do you do when you have petitioned and the answer has not come yet? What happens when you have humbled yourself and emptied yourself of you and all we can do is wait? It feels so vulnerable. It feels like we're exposed. Our friends are getting answers. People around us are getting answers. Miracles are coming left and right. And here I am in the midst of all that. And I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. Would the Bible on a Sunday morning give us any sort of direction? Oh yeah, it does. David, the boy shepherd. His song lyrics are echoing across the hillside and they speak to us on this Sunday morning when he declared trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Joshua, you're staring at insurmountable walls. And the key in that moment of waiting is just to shut your mouth and wait because I'm doing something. Noah, you sent out that dove after the flood, and she found no rest for the sole of her little foot. So you stayed, and you waited for another seven days, and you sent the dove out again, and she came back with an olive leaf in her mouth. So you waited another seven days. Noah, I'm uncovering something. I'm revealing something. I'm doing something that you can't see right now. David, do not fret when you're in the waiting room. It only causes you harm. you got to learn how to wait on me. You've got to learn how to square your shoulders, firmly plant your feet and draw a line in the sand and say it doesn't matter if it takes a day or a week or a month or a year or a whole bunch of years. I will faithfully and patiently wait on the Lord. Praise God. It's when we are anxious in the waiting that we must realize something else is going on. I feel like I'm going to explode this morning. So I'll just let you watch me internally combust right here in front of y'all. In Daniel chapter number 9 and verse number 2, It was in the first year of Darius's reign that Daniel says, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And so I, Daniel, set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, And ashes. We move down in Daniel chapter 9, and the prayer of Daniel is recorded O Lord, according to all your righteousness, verse 16, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Watch. The heart of Daniel, verse 17. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh God, you've seen how far we have drifted as a nation. Oh God, you've seen how far we have walked away from you. I am praying. 
I am beseeching and I am interceding that you would turn your fury away. Do you hear the cry of Daniel? Hear the prayer of your servants, O God. Hear our intercession. Cause your face to shine on your people. He prayed it honestly. He prayed it passionately. And on the first day that he prayed, nothing happened. And on the second day after he prayed, no answer. And on the third day after he prayed, not one word from God. On the seventh day, no breakthrough. On the thirteenth day, nothing but my prayers hitting the ceiling. And Daniel said in Daniel 10 and 10 that it was after the third week of waiting. That's a long time to pray a prayer and hear absolutely nothing. But it was after the third week of praying and waiting on the Lord that Daniel records the words in Daniel 10 and 10. Suddenly, a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling in his presence. And he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. I thank God for what that angel said to Daniel. He said, Daniel, you've been praying for 21 days, but you mark it down, my friend. The first day that you prayed, God heard your prayer. The first day that you uttered a request to God, he heard what you were saying. But Daniel, you got to understand something. For the last 21 days, there's been a war going on been a battle we've had to fight to get here the prince of Persia has withstood me but Daniel I'm here Hallelujah. oh I believe I've come with a word from the Lord for somebody in this house You've been praying and you've been waiting a long time and you may have thought God never heard you when you prayed, but this preacher's rising up to tell you the first day that you prayed, God heard your prayer. The first time you prayed, God heard your prayer. But there's a battle waging for souls. There's a spiritual warfare that's going on in the heavenlies. And in the midst of the battle, we gotta keep on waiting. We gotta keep on praying. We gotta keep on trusting. Come on, mama that has a prodigal son. There's a war going on for his soul. Come on, daddy with a prodigal daughter. There's a war going on for her soul. Come on, person with an anxious mind. There's a war going on. We got to keep on praying, keep on trusting, keep on waiting on the Lord. Oh, I got to preach it. I got to get it in our spirit today. Now is too soon to give up. I want you to stand. I'm not done preaching, but I want everybody to stand. And I want you to square your, your shoulders and plant your feet solidly on the ground. You know what Paul said? He said, when you've done all to stand, stand therefore. <laughs> now, I got to reading that one day, and it sounded to me like he was just repeating himself. 
when you've done all to stand, just keep standing. It's like, duh. But if you really examine that scripture, you know what the Bible really teaches there? When you look into the origins of both of those words, stand and then stand, Paul says, when you've done everything to stand, in other words, you got beat up, you've been waiting a long time, you've let fear come in your mind, and all you can do is just kind of wobble around, and when it all clears, you're still standing. When you've done everything to stand, then he says, stand. Come here, Brother Harvey. That second stand does not refer to just standing. It means when the devil fights, push him back. I'm trying to think who else I can pick right now. I don't want to push on the pastor. Listen to this preacher right now. When the devil comes and tells you you've been praying a long time for that girl, you might as well throw in the towel. No, come on, honey, stand and then stand. Push back against the enemy. Push back against fear. Push back against anxiety. Come on, Pentecostals of Sydney. When you've done everything to stand, keep on waiting and push back. Oh, I wish we could get a hold of all the power that's in the name of Jesus. You, If you're a believer in Jesus, you've got more power in your little finger than the devil has in all of hell. You've got power to resist him. Be seated. Paul said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. If you want to know how we win in the end, John the Revelator quoted Jesus and said, War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragon, but they did not prevail. Oh, it might seem like the answer's not coming, but the answer's coming, honey. The answer's coming. The answer's on the way. There's just a battle going on. So we must continue to wait in prayer. Everybody say, wait in prayer. The first day you prayed. I want you to get that. That's a word from the Lord for some mama in this room right now. The first time you prayed about that request, would you hear what God is saying to you? He heard you. But I must also this morning declare that proximity matters to Jesus as well. Where am I dwelling? Where am I waiting? Am I waiting in the suburbs or am I waiting right next to the miracle? With where I am dwelling, am I living in a place that believes that God could bring an answer at any moment? Or have I kind of parked my faith off to the side and said, it's probably not going to happen for me and my family. Proximity matters to Jesus. She had a blood disease for 12 years. The Bible says that she'd gone to the doctors and she had got no better. In fact, she had grown worse. And Mark tells of this miraculous encounter with Jesus Christ, a woman who pushes her way through the crowd. And she had one simple declaration. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Excuse me. Pardon me. I heard that Jesus is here. Pardon me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm so sorry. You can't have to pardon me for just a minute, but I heard there's a miracle worker somewhere nearby. So excuse me. Pardon me. I'm so sorry. 
I don't mean to be getting out of order, but I got a blood condition and I need a miracle and I got to get close to him. I may have to step on your feet. I may have to make you uncomfortable, but I've got to get close to where Jesus is because he is a miracle worker. Proximity matters to Jesus. Now, let me just tell you, if you haven't eaten for six days, I don't have to invite you to lunch today. You will go running to the restaurant. If you have a need desperate enough, I don't have to give an altar call today. I don't have to beg anybody to pray today. If you're desperate enough, you will say, I'm going to get as close to the miracle worker as I can. If that means i got to lift up my hands, I'm going to lift up my hands. If that means i got to rejoice and dance in the Lord, I will do whatever it takes. I want you to notice this. The Bible never says she touched Jesus. She touched something touching Jesus. She got close to the miracle. You see, to John chapter 5 and verse 2, there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. Watch this next word. Waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. You talk about a YouTube moment. Oh, my goodness. That whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Verse 5, John chapter 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. I'm going to confess something to you. I do a lot of confessing when I preach. I, I don't know what that says about me. I have always read this story, and Brother Ben kind of scratched my head and thought, that is such a remarkable, marvelous, supernatural stirring. I mean, can, can you just for just a moment take yourself out of this sanctuary and think about laying next to a pool, and you don't know when it's going to happen, but once a year, oh, here it goes! And can you see it? People are crawling. I mean, the sprint is on. Because the first one that jumps in that pool, doesn't matter if it's a shallow end, the deep end, just gets in the pool. Miracle. And I had two, two emotions that used to come in my spirit, and they were this. I used to feel so bad for the guy in Mark 5, or John 5, rather. What a poor guy. He said, I don't even have anybody to get me in the pool. <laughs> and then I was reading the Bible one day. How many of you have ever read the Bible and it messed with your theology? Or at least your preconceived ideas. The Bible says that the man who was paralyzed, who couldn't get into the pool, was laying right next to the pool. And the scripture says when Jesus saw him lying there, this wasn't a lottery, he didn't have the prettiest smile. He wasn't chosen because he knew how to win friends and influence people. Jesus picked him out for a miracle because of where he was lying right next to the pool. 
when Jesus saw him lying there. Where? 30 feet away? No, right next to the pool. Yeah, but he can't get in the pool. He's not, Jesus is not worried about if he can get in the pool. Everybody around him. Can you imagine everybody around the guy that got in first and he's rejoicing over the miracle? And then all of a sudden a guy is touched by a man and he gets a miracle and he didn't even get in the pool. And then the other guy that was all wet now is going, what? Because why do you need a pool when you got a healer? Why do you need a swimming pool when you got a miracle worker? Some people have a pool. I've got a healer. i got a savior. I've got Jesus. When he saw him lying there, he said, take up your bed and walk. Brother Gaddy, I've done everything I can to get my boy to come back to church. I've done everything I can. I'm praying. I'm fasting. I'm giving myself to the Lord. Here's the word of the Lord for you. Stay right there. Don't move away from right there. Get as close to that miracle as you can. When you don't have answers, stay close to Jesus. Park yourself next to that pool. Proximity matters. When Jesus sees you there. Oh, I think we need to praise the Lord right now. I think we ought to just praise the Lord right now. Come on, when someone lifts up their hands and magnifies the Lord, you draw close to him. You draw close to the miracle worker. I'm waiting on you, Lord. I'm waiting on you, Lord. But I'm waiting right next to the miracle. Come on, mama, praise him again. Come on, daddy, pray again. Come on, grandpa, wait again. Wait on the Lord, close to the miracle. Everybody in the house, would you stand? My wife and I planted our church in 1999 in the month of July and um, when we planted we just had me and Stacy and our one and a half year old daughter and one lady whom we used her living room to start the church and we decided to grow the church naturally so we had a son (laughs) there's more than one way to grow a church yeah So that was in July of 1999, and we got after the first of the year of 2000, and we realized that, you know, the world didn't end, and (laughs) computers still worked. How many of you are old enough to remember that scare? And uh, we were coming up to Pentecost Sunday in the spring of 2000, and I had decided that we were going to go all out for Pentecost Sunday. We probably had about 11 or 12 people come into our church at the time. But I decided we are ever more going to go all out for Pentecost Sunday. We're a Pentecostal church. We're going to have an outpouring. I spent money that I didn't have on four-color glossy door hangers to go around in neighborhoods and hang on doors and invite them to this Holy Ghost outpouring. We fasted. We prayed. We had altar workers seminars with just a few of us that were part of the church. And I mean, I was so excited. We were renting at that time a little denominational church building. And it didn't have an office, so I didn't have anywhere to go before church except a back Sunday school room. And I'm sitting back in that back Sunday school room. We had 2 o'clock service because we were using another church's building on that Sunday. And at about 1.58... I walked out of the Sunday school room and I started to walk into the sanctuary expecting to see many, many people just jam-packed, full of people hungry for God. And I'm here to testify to you here in Sydney this morning that on Pentecost Sunday 2000, we had seven people. 
Now, some of you are waiting for the rest of that sentence. That was it. So let me rewind so you get that. So on Pentecost Sunday, I didn't say we had seven people receive the Holy Ghost. We had seven people, period. And I got up to preach, and I put my best game face on. Praise the Lord. It's Pentecost Sunday. And I'm going to tell you something. The music that day was very, very subpar. And the preaching was awful. And I know it was because I was the one preaching. And I looked around and the six other people that were there, Brother Harvey, and I thought, Lord, are you going to do anything? All this effort we've put into this? All this money we spent? All the meals I missed? For this? And I preached and got done preaching, gave an altar call, and I think more out of sympathy for me than anything, people came forward. They kind of just lifted their hands, kind of non-committal. But I'm trying to put the game face on. God's met with us today. So good to be in the presence of God today. You're dismissed in the name of Jesus. And people quickly left. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. I felt absolutely dejected. So I had to leave that service and drive about an hour down the highway to go to our youth camp in our district. And I was in charge of the youth camp at the time, Brother Harvey. So I had to go from that tragedy and then go to youth camp and take teenagers into the heavenly realms. So on the way down to the campground, I called my pastor who lived halfway between Cabot and the campground. I said, Pastor, can I talk to you for just a few minutes? He said, yeah, come on by the church. And so I went to my pastor's office, and when I walked in his office, I completely lost it. I'm sitting in the chair. <laughs> I mean, I am heaving. My shoulders are shaking. Pastor, it was so awful. <laughs> we prayed, and we fasted, and we witnessed, and we talked to people, and six other people showed up. It was just awful. I'm sitting there in my pastor's office completely broken. I am needing my pastor to give me a word from God. I'm going to tell you now, I needed something straight from heaven itself because I was wiped out. I was dejected. I was depressed. I thought, is this what church planting's all about? And I'm sitting there, my head down, broken, and I'm waiting on that man, my pastor, to come and just do something. Lay hands on me, give me a word, do something. And he just sat there. And I'm going to clue you in on what I was thinking. I don't think I've ever told him this, but I was sitting there thinking... Now would be a good time for that. <laughs> and after what seemed like an eternity, I heard his chair back up. I didn't lift my head, but I heard him get up. And I felt his presence come around the side of me. And I got ready. Woo! Here it comes. Here it comes. Speak, Lord. And after it took forever, I mean, it just took forever. I felt his hand on my shoulder. And Sister Downs, I looked up at my pastor he looks down at me and I'll never forget what he said to me I'm just, I mean tears are just streaming down my face and he looks down at me he says stay at it 
And he turned around and went back to his chair and sat down, crossed his arms, and just looked at me. Now, if you thought I was crying before that, <laughs> again, a little clue into my thoughts. Is that everything? Is there something else? So you know what I decided to do, Brother Harvey? I decided to stay at it. When it was awesome and when it was really difficult. When I felt the rush of the Holy Ghost and when it felt like I was doing no good. When I preached and I felt pretty good about my sermon and when I preached and it felt like, have you ever preached once in your life before? When I was in a service and people were rejoicing and cluing in and listening. And when I was in services and they were checking Facebook and looking at their watches. I just decided I'm going to stay at it. I'm just going to be persistent. I'm just going to keep on asking. I'm just going to keep on trusting. I'm going to keep on waiting on the Lord. tell you something, the word of the Lord would come to somebody in this room right now. That in your waiting, there is victory on the way. And in your waiting, there is deliverance on the way. Come on, I think we need to lift up our voice to the Lord right now. We're going to come in the, around the front of this altar here in just a minute. Come on, be persistent. If you've cried at one time, cry it again. Come on, come on. Those of you that are stepping out, I want you to come. Come on, the hungry. God's calling for the hungry today. God's calling for the people that are hungry. God's calling for the people who have prayer requests that haven't been answered yet. Come on, mama, the call of God is for you right now. I wish you'd step out from where you are as an act of faith right now and say, Lord, I'm going to get in close proximity to a miracle. I want you to come. Come on. If you feel tears streaming down your face, the call of the Lord is for you today. If you feel a nudge in the spirit today, the call of the Lord is for you today. This might be your year. This could be your weekend. This could be your day. This could be your moment. Come on, I want you to step forward as close as you can right now. Come on, step close as, as close as you can right now. I see teenagers crying out to the Lord. I see young adults crying out to the Lord. Come on, somebody. Let's not get weary in the waiting. Let's not get weary in the waiting. Let's not get weary in the waiting. Let a prayer come up from your spirit right now. Let a cry come up from your spirit right now. In the name of Jesus, I'm waiting, Lord. I'm waiting, Lord. I'm in your presence, Lord. I'm in your presence, Jesus. I'm believing for the miracle. Come on, that's it. Some of you have been praying for that physical healing. Pray again. Wait again. Trust again. Put your faith in him again. He's not a God that he should lie. He's on the throne. He sees right where you're at. Come on, I wish you'd reach over to somebody that's near you right now. Put a hand on their shoulder. Begin to speak over their life right now. Jesus, bless them in the waiting. Bless them in the waiting, Lord. Bless them in the waiting, Jesus. Give them strength. Give them patience. Give them trust. Come on, that's it. That's it. That's it. Go ahead and let your voice out. Come on, how desperate are we? How much are we willing to wait? How much are we willing to wait? 
How much are we willing to trust? Come on now, when we don't have answers, we've got God. When we don't have answers, we've got the Lord Jesus. When we don't have solutions, we've got Jesus. to someone near you right now. Let the gifts of the Spirit operate through your life right now. God gives you a word of knowledge. Speak it out in Jesus' name. God gives you a word of wisdom. Speak it out in Jesus' name. Come on, let the gift of faith rise in this house. Let the anointing of the Lord rise in this house. I'm waiting on you, Lord.
everybody in the house, everybody at the Pentecostals of Sydney, I'd like you to stand with me. Those of you praying at the altar, I want you to stand. I want everybody to stand, please. Everybody, stand with me if you would. Stand with me if you would. Everybody stand. Just touch your neighbor and ask them to stand with us. We're going to pray another prayer before pastor comes. Jesus has ministered to his disciples for three and a half powerful years. Great miracles have taken place. They watch him betray. They watch him killed. He's buried in a borrowed tomb. And yet he comes out victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He stands in front of them on a mountain. Them perhaps not knowing these are the final few moments that they will share with him on this earth. And the Bible says that in those days, leading up to that moment, he gave them many commandments. In other words, I'm going to get out of here, but I got to make sure that I tell you what I need to tell you. But the last commandment he gave them before he ascends into heaven is to wait. In fact, they look at him before he gives that command and they say, Jesus, will you restore again the kingdom to Israel? In other words, we used to know what it was like before all this persecution. Surely the reason why you resurrected is because you're going to bring it all back to the way that it used to be. And Jesus said this, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, but go to Jerusalem and wait until you are endued with power from on high. I want to preach to people on this side of the pandemic who have prayed and said, Lord, surely now that this is all kind of getting past us, you're going to give us back what we used to have, right? You're going to help us to have what we used to have at the Pentecostals of Sydney. Can I preach to you and tell you what Jesus has in mind for us? is greater than what we had before the pandemic. And his command is the same to us. Wait for it. It's coming. Wait for it. It's coming. Wait for it. It's coming. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to reach over. I'd like there to be a network of people connected all across this sanctuary right now. And I want us in the, in the next few moments to lift up our voice and declare that in the future, in the very near future, as we wait on the Lord, God is going to shake Sydney, Australia with an apostolic revival like we have never experienced in all of our lives. Is there anybody in this house? You're ready for Pentecost to come. You're ready for an outpouring to come. I wish you would lift up your voice. Come on, Brother Lee. It's gonna happen in Singapore. It's gonna happen in Sydney. Come on, we're waiting on you, Lord. We're waiting on you, Lord. We're waiting on you, Lord. We're declaring it over Sydney. We're declaring it over every neighborhood. over every culture, every language, every person, every man, every woman. We're declaring your glory. We're declaring your glory. We're declaring your glory. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes.
Oh